I was just sitting in the back just now, just reflecting on what just happened. For the first time in a year, we got to do a big event since COVID. That's exciting. And I got to reflect even more to think about, we just encountered the holiness of God. Sure, it wasn't just like Isaiah where we got to see his awesome power, but God through his wisdom gave us his word. And Pastor Rod faithfully preached it last night, the last two nights. And I was thinking about every single one of us encountered the holiness of God through the word. And some of you guys responded. I'm hearing about your small groups, through your leaders, people are reconciling, some people are confessing their sins. I want you guys during worship night, you're pouring your hearts out. I also see some of you quietly just letting the weekend pass by. We encounter the holiness of God. Okay, so now what? What happens? What's next? We're about to go down the mountain. Hopefully we stay alive. And then, then, then what? Go, go back to Zool, half school in person, half online. What, what, what's going to happen next? What are you going to do? Well, I hope you don't live in regret. Back in 2013, that's exactly what I did. I knew about the holiness of God. I knew the gospel. I was saved back in 2011. However, I was at a football game. I was helping coach my former high school and Here's a young man. We went to high school together. I was a senior and he was a freshman at the time. Now I graduated college. Now he's a, fresh, a sophomore in college playing college athletics. We're catching up. I'm giving him wisdom about, hey, this is how you can navigate college athletics. I played college football. You're about to play it too. This is what you can do. But in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, just, just ask him. Just ask him. Just ask him where he is in his faith. Just ask him where he's, in, where, he's in, where, he's, where he's in Christ. But I kept putting it off. I'm like, that's weird. That's awkward. I don't want to do that. But in reality, I wanted to know where is he? Where does he stand with the holiness of God? Where does he stand with Christ? That simple question of, hey man, where are you at? Can reveal a lot. Maybe he's striving and I can celebrate that. Or maybe he gives a half-hearted answer or no answer. Then I'm like, I need to confront him with the gospel. So regretfully, I didn't bring it up. We parted our ways. I paid, paid attention back to the game. The game ended. We went home. That's it. Next morning, I get a text from another former teammate of mine. And he says, hey, so-and-so died last night. It was quick. It was sudden. He was 19 years old. Not only did I mourn a, a friend's loss, I, I mourned because... I didn't have the courage to do the right thing just to ask a simple question that eight years later, I regret not doing. And I don't want that for you. You encountered the holiness of God. You, God exposed your sin night one, but God also exposed his grace last night. And the thing that you will regret not doing is sharing about that when you get down this mountain. My question for you is that will you accept regret? 
Will you accept the pain of regret? Maybe losing a loved one, losing a friend, knowing that they are not right with God just because you wanted to keep the friendship cordial, just because you wanted things just to be status quo. I know it's a tall order, but the question you have to ask yourself, will you accept regret ever since that day eight years ago? I've determined never to feel that feeling again. Because I don't know where my friend was or is right now. He's encountering the holiness of God. I just don't know if he's encountering his blessings or his judgment. I was too afraid to ask. As we go to Isaiah, back to Isaiah chapter six, verse eight, if you just want to go to the next slide. Isaiah encountered the holiness of God. He encountered his sin. He encountered God's mercy and atonement. So, okay, so now what? what? What was the purpose? Why did God do this? Well, we read in verse eight. And beginning, before we actually read, this is the thing that we ought to pay attention and understand. Isaiah got this. You and I need to get this. We ought to properly respond to God's holiness by going out and sharing this good news, sharing this gospel of redemption for everyone and to everyone, no matter how hard it gets. I regretted. I feared back then and I regretted. I don't want you to fear and regret eight years later. This sticks with you. I don't want that to stick with you. But to understand, to not regret, we need to understand our calling. So Isaiah 6, verse 8. And I heard the voice. This word also means message. I heard the voice. I heard the message of the Lord. Whom shall I send? That word send, it's to dispatch, to stretch out, to set free, to give out a message. Who will go? Who will depart for us? Who will behave as our ambassador? Who would lead? Who will bring people to us? Who will go for us? Don't, let's hover on that word us a little bit. That word us is the same word found in Genesis 1.26. When God says, let us create them in our image. So this is this uh, a, a shadow of the Trinity being formed right here. Who will go for us? Then I said, or you can translate it, so I said, here I am, send me. No, he didn't say it like that. That Hebrew word, it's going to be a strong word. It says, behold, here I am, send me right now. I'm ready. It wasn't just some volu- you know, casual volunteering in like a cute way. No, Isaiah knows he's about to go to war, not with guns or swords, no, a spiritual war back to his nation of Israel. And he's saying, behold, send me. I'm ready to deliver this message of atonement. I'm ready, send me. Isaiah's eagerness is something that we need to emulate, something that we need to emulate. So put this down for point number one, eagerly obey God's call to share the gospel. Eagerly obey God's call to share the gospel. Write this down, John chapter four, and read, the, read it on the way down to the bus. Read it this weekend. This is the picture. Here is a woman, a Samaritan. This person's a reject in the, in the country of Israel. This person, the Israelites and the Jews hated them because they're a mixed breed of Gentile and old, you know, old Jews, and they hated them. But here's Jesus, comes on the scene and talks to this woman. 
And he reveals to her saying, hey, I know your past. I know that you've had several marriages. I know you're committing sexual adultery. I know the guy you're living with is not even your husband. And the woman, eventually throughout this conversation, is cries out, well, I'm looking for this Messiah. We're waiting for this Messiah, this person to save us. And what does Jesus say? He says, the person you're waiting for, you're talking to right now. I am he, the person that's going to change you and redeem you. She, what does she do? She, oh, great, that's, that's awesome. I'm glad. Can I hang out with you? No, she dropped whatever she was doing and ran down to her friends and said, hey, you got to meet this guy. He revealed to, revealed to me everything that I have done. She revealed her sin, not in a graphic and specific way. She said, hey, he knows about my adulterous life just like you, but yet here's a man who's going to bring forgiveness. And those people came and met Jesus and they spoke with him. And they told him, it is no longer because of the woman that we believe. It is now because we have spoken to you face to face. This is what you get to do now. The sin that God has exposed to you this weekend. You can share your testimony if you have repented and placed your faith in Christ. You can share this testimony to people. The easiest way to share the gospel is how the gospel has changed you. Say, hey, God has revealed to me my sin, X, Y, and Z. But he offers forgiveness in this way. And you can meet him too. That is the eagerness that we're looking for. So in order to eagerly obey God's call, we need to declare the gospel with overwhelming joy. Isaiah later in chapter 40 reveals like this is, how do we declare the gospel? What does it look like? Well, Isaiah 40, chapter, chapter 40, verse nine, talks about the good news being heralded. The context of Isaiah is that these nations are coming. Assyria and Babylon are coming to destroy Israel because of its sin. And they're looking for good news. And this picture of someone of good news goes up on a high mountain. Who's a herald of good news. That good news is the gospel. It says, lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem. Herald of good news, lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, as you're on this mountain, looking down on the cities, this is what you say, and this is how you say it. Behold your God. Behold, the Lord comes with might. His arms rules with him. Behold, his reward is with him, and his recompense is before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them into his bosom and gently lead those that are with young See, this good news cannot be said without passion. This good news cannot be said without joy. If it's robotic, like, yeah, I got saved in junior high and revival and went up the mountain in high school and I realized I was a sinner. No, then you're missing the point. You're missing the weight, heaviness of your sin, the payment of the cross and the mercy that God offers. As pa you saw Pastor Rod last night, he understood it. He couldn't help himself. He couldn't help declaring the mercy that God has offered him in his life and offers you. So let's make sure that we are declaring the gospel with overwhelming joy. The way to do that is to remember, to meditate on, to think about your testimony every single day. Think about the trajectory that you were on before Christ and where your sin led and now think of the trajectory you are on with Christ and how with this life you can live in a different way and a better way and 
get to spend an eternity with the good, holy God of the universe. But we also need to declare, we also need to make sure we need to match our lives with God's mission. I was telling some of you all online that I was such a poser in college. I went to the University of New Mexico, 800 miles from the nearest beach. So I totally posed as a surfer dude. And I've probably surfed twice in my life. They asked, oh, do you surf, man? I'm like, yeah, dude. <laughs> Got like a 10 foot board and I sound like Dave Averill. But no, I never, I body surfed, but I'm not, I'm, not a, I'm not a beach rat. I'm not like some of you who are passionate about surfing, who could have called me out. No, I try to blend in and pretend to be someone. My life, my life did not match it, and therefore, if they even found out, they would have realized I was a fraud. But some of you declare and profess Christ, but your life shows that you are a fraud. So what do you do? You need to quickly repent and place your faith in Christ. You need to quickly repent and ask God for forgiveness and turn to him. Because the pastor I brought up and then the rest of the Bible talks about is that our heart reveals our, our actions, our words reveal our heart. Proverbs 27, 19, as in water face reflects face, so the heart of man reflects man. The things that you're doing if I went to your calendar, if I went to your bank statements, I looked at your, your text messages, I will quickly know if you are on mission for Christ. But Jesus takes it further. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from bram a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil per person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. This is why it's important that we make sure that we match our life to God's mission. If you're apathetic about the gospel, if you're ap apathetic about your life with Christ, your leaders know, I know, we, we interact with you. You're revealing your heart to us. And this is why we're here to disciple you so that we make sure you're on track with Christ, that you're in a relationship with Christ. So let's make sure that your life matches and part of that is declaring the gospel with overwhelming joy. But next, we also need to learn the message that you're going to proclaim. I was on Instagram the other day trying to, I don't want to say stalk you. I just want to say, like, hey, how are you guys doing? I was on Instagram story and I kept seeing Chick-fil-A, 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 Chick-fil-A. I'm like, what is going on? But y'all knew Chick-fil-A is giving away, it's like, hey, you can enter a raffle and have Chick-fil-A for a year, free Chick-fil-A. All I got to do is these four things. The first one I forgot, so I'm not going to win. Tag two friends in the comment section, share it on your story, and then the other thing I forgot already. So, but you knew what to do. Why? Because you learned it. You're like, I understand what to do, so I'm going to tag my friends, try to repost it, I'm going to reshare it on my story, and hopefully I win Chick-fil-A for a year. That'd be great. I'm going to give you all the benefit of the doubt on something. My, in the NFL, they have a phrase that they say, there's no such thing as a dumb football player. And I might laugh. I'm like, well, you got to think about it. In the NFL, you have a playbook about this thick, and every one of those guys can memorize it. I want to say there's no such thing, thing as a dumb high schooler. People look down on you. They think you're stupid. I'm going to give you the benefit of the doubt. 
Many of you are smart. Not only can you figure out calculus like the back of your hand, not only do you know grammar way better than I do, but some of you know how to fix cars. Some of you know how, to how the, the ocean works. Some of you know how the mountain and the forecast work. Some of you how to know how to build and repair bikes and computers. You guys are smart. So there's no such thing as a dumb high schooler, but there is such thing as a lazy high schooler. If we're not willing to learn the good news, we are being lazy. We're not obeying God by worshiping with him with all our might and all our strength. So let's make sure we learn the message so that we can properly share it. I hope you were amped up after Pastor Rod's sermon last night. I was. I hope you were amped up after the, you know, the worship service. Not because it's cool and emotional, not because of what God has done to redeem us. But if you think about it, the mission is really hard. I'm not asking you to do an easy thing. No, what is, what is Isaiah? He was confronted with a job, and it's not going to be easy. Go to verse 9 of Isaiah chapter 6. He says, together with, again, that plural thing, it's he, God, to, and it's together. So the Father, Son, Holy Spirit saying, go, go, walk, behave, lead, and say, say to these people, command them, to this people, this, this nation, this Israel, say these words. Keep on hearing, and, but do not understand. That keep on hearing in the Hebrew, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a poetic statement. It's hear, hear. It says hear, hear, but don't understand. Don't perceive. Don't pay attention. Don't, you can't understand this. Keep on seeing. See, see. Not like Spanish. But see with your eyes. Spy, understand, examine, look at, inspect. But don't perceive. Don't understand, don't notice, don't learn, don't reveal, because we spy out something to learn about something. So see, but don't understand. Isaiah's probably going, what? I got redeemed, you're telling me to share a message that they're not going to get? Yeah. God gave Isaiah an extremely difficult assignment. You see, he eagerly jumped at the opportunity, probably thinking, yes, I'm going to be the guy that brings revival back to Israel. Some of us might go down saying, yes, we're going to bring revival to California. That seems impossible. I'm ready to go and do this. But God says, that's not the plan. But I still want you to share it to every single one. Even though this message will harden people's heart, even though this message will blind more people, even though this message will make people's ears harder that they can't hear anymore, I want you to share it, regardless of what happens. So, True North, point number two, present the whole gospel regardless of the results. Sharing the truth is difficult. I would say I have strong opinions, but I'm just saying I'm just right for example, I'm sorry to break it to y'all, but Cars is not the best Pixar film. Not even close. Soul's better movie. It's clearly Finding Nemo. Some of you, I want to break it to you, and you have to listen to this. Star Wars Episode Three is not a good movie. It's garbage. It's hard to watch. I can't get past 10 minutes. I have to turn it off again. And for some of you, this is going to hurt even more. Taylor Swift is way overrated. Yeah. And most of the music you listen to. I had to tell me this, you know, Led Zeppelin, as much as I like them, they're really not that good of an artist. 
or Cardi B or Taylor Swift or even Kanye. They ain't no Beethoven. If you listen to Beethoven and then listen to like some of the stuff you like, you're gonna go, okay, yeah, okay, yeah this is clearly better. That's what I mean. They're artists, but not Beethoven, not Mozart, okay? Sometimes telling the truth is difficult or easy like that. But we have to make sure we are presenting the gospel even though you might lose people. I was driving in the car on the freeway at night after my friends got together. We had some dinner. This is about two years ago. And I was driving with my, one of my best friends from high school who's not a Christian. He's agnostic. But to my shame, I never shared the gospel with them for years until I was determined to say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share it with them tonight. And thankfully, by God's providence, for some reason, his parents dropped him off at dinner, so I had to bring, you know, drive him home. I was like, this is great. But why am I sweating? Why am I gripping the steering wheel really hard? Why is my heart pounding? Why do I want to feel like I'm th- going to throw up? It's because I cherished my relationship with my high school best friend. By thought of my other friend who died at 19 years old years prior and said, no, I'm going to share it with him and he's going to know this gospel. And what happened on the freeway? I started, I just asked the question, hey, Nate, what do you even, what do you think of Christianity? About three hours later, here we are at T Street, sitting on the bench in the middle of the night, trying to debating the gospel. That was a wonderful thing. Now I'm praying for him to believe and he now has a deeper respect for Christianity. He ain't saved, but I'm going to be continually praying for him. But it's there, it's out there. I risked my friendship to hopefully be able to see that friendship last forever. Are you willing to do that? For some of you, you're dating or like people who are not Christians. I just learned that one of my close friends, he was dating his, his girlfriend at the time and he realized that she wasn't a believer, even though she professed it. And he realized he had two choices, confront her with the gospel or break up with her. That's only two options. Because he knew I cannot be unequally yoked. So what did he do? He told her, saying, hey, I'm concerned. I don't think you're a believer for this X, Y, and Z reason. He did it in a gentle, kind way. She blew up at him. She left in a storm. She was, as she said, furious at him. But guess what happened? The Holy Spirit grabbed her and she got saved that night. And now they're married. My question is for you, are you willing to lose your boyfriend and girlfriend for the gospel? Are you, really, are you, are you willing to lose your relationship with your, your best friend or even the siblings or your parents or your neighbors for the gospel? Because remember, Jesus is, he does not say, I'm going to bring happiness and unicorns and rainbows with everybody. No, I, have, I brought a sword. I'm going to set against his son, against his father, a daughter against his mother. Why? Because whoever loves his father or mother more than me, whoever loves his son and daughter more than me, whoever loves their boyfriend or girlfriend or their wife or their son or their best friend or their neighbor more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Here's the hard thing, True North. You will lose people down this mountain. Are you willing to do it or will you accept regret? But not only that, you need to share the gospel even though it may change your plans. Now, this is a weird phrase the only way I can think of it. But Jesus in Matthew 16 paints a better picture. Talking about, hey, what, so what? If you gain the whole world and you forfeit your soul, okay, so what? Okay, Evan, what are you trying to get at? Pastor Rod talked about on Sunday about the uh, Oral Roberts University. 
how some people are attacking them because they believe in traditional marriage. And they say they should not be part of the NCAA tournament. You should ban them, cancel them. Well, only two years ago in Canada, the Supreme Court ruled seven to two saying, quote, that there's a law society of a Christian university that the Supreme Court acted responsibly in denying accreditation to a proposed Christian law school because of its policy prohibiting students and faculty from engaging in sexual intimacy that violates the sacredness of marriage between a man and a woman. So meaning, if you decide to go to Masters University, Biola University, or Baylor University, try to get a law degree, essentially, what Canada said, no, we're going to ban their accreditation. You can't take the bar. My question is for you. I'm not saying don't become a nurse, don't become a, a doctor or a rocket surgeon. Like, do those careers. We need Christians in those careers. What I'm telling you is, are you willing to let your career be sidetracked for the gospel? Because you might have to share it with a coworker. Because you might say, hey, I can't stand here anymore. I have to do something else. Are you willing to sideline your career that you're some of you are painstakingly working at the AP tests, the college courses, the Saddleback classes, the late classes. Are you willing to say, I will choose Jesus over this career if it comes to it? This is a hard message to us. The question is for you. Is do you accept that job and that career path and not share and accept regret? Present the gospel even though it may, it may change your plans but present the gospel, even though you don't know everything. Some of you don't share because you're timid. You say, Evan, I'm not smart as Pastor Rod. I don't know the Bible is back and forth. I barely started the New Testament. I'm like, I don't care. You know enough. You, can, you know the gospel. You know your sin. You know Christ's atonement. It's the gospel is so simple that a child can understand it. Sarah Averill is a testament to that. But it's so deep that we can, can preach on it for 2,000 years later. But you all know enough to share the gospel. But Evan, I'm scared. I'm nervous. That person in class, he's a former Christian. He knows a lot more than me. This person, he's a Buddhist. He's a Muslim. They're a progressive Christian. They know more than me. Jesus told the disciples, saying, hey, they're going to throw you into prison. The authorities are going to attack you. But in Luke chapter 12, he says these words. Do not be anxious about what, how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. But remember these words right before then. Whoever denies me, I will deny to the Father. If you're denying to share the gospel, it means, again, back to the other earlier point, your heart is being reflected. Maybe, maybe you're not allied with Christ. Take a hard look at yourself, True North. Take a hard look. Make sure you're sharing the gospel even though if you don't know anything. So the next time when we get back on the campuses to do campus clubs, the next time we're saying, hey, can you share your testimony on Instagram? Or hey, can you just go out there and let's invite people to the next event? Do it. Y'all know how to share the gospel. But this isn't just a hard plan for Isaiah hey, share this to this nation. They're not going to hear. They're not going to understand. I want you to do it regardless of the results. And actually in tradition is Isaiah got sawn in half. He died delivering this message most likely. It seemingly doesn't make sense. It's okay, God, I, I don't know where you're getting at. Share the gospel, but you don't get it. 
I don't understand. Well, let's recap a little bit. Isaiah 6, 8, 9. We're going to read both verses together real quickly. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. But remember, it's a gusto, joyful, zealous. And he said, go and say to these people, keep on hearing, but not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. But we're going to read chapter, the rest of the verse, verses 10 to 13 real fast. We're going to understand God's plan in the situation. It says, wouldn't hit the next slide for me. It says, make the heart of this people dull. Okay, it's getting worse here, God. And their ears heavy and blind their eyes. Lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Uh, okay, God. And even Isaiah is like, uh, then I said, how long, O Lord? Isaiah is getting it. He's like, how long do I have to do this? This sounds like a hard job. Well, God says, until cities lie in waste, without inhabitant and houses with or without people and the land is desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away and has forsaken the places are many in the midst of the land and though there are a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains and is felled. It's like a giant forest fire. The only thing that's left is just the tree stump. That says God's plan, but it's not done yet. The holy seed is its stump. Now this is an interesting statement right here. The word seed can be also translated as offspring. So the holy offspring is its stump. Okay. What is God trying to say? You want to hit the next slide? Genesis 3, 5. I'll put enmity between you and the woman. This is at the fall. This is Satan tempting successfully Adam and Eve. And God is judging Adam. He judges Eve. Now he's judging the serpent. And he's saying between you and your offspring, your seed, that's the same Hebrew word, and her seed and offspring, he shall bruise your head and you shall bru bruise his heel. Meaning the offspring of the woman will crush your head, Satan. Next slide. Genesis 22, this is the covenant between Abraham and Isaac. He said, I will multiply your offspring, your seed, as much as the stars in the heaven. If you want to drop down to verse 18, and in your offspring, your seed, shall the nations on the earth be blessed because of you obeyed my voice. Meaning the offspring from Eve now to Abraham, the nations will be blessed. Now the picture continues in 2 Samuel 7, when God gives a Covenant to King David saying, your offspring, if you want to jump down to verse 16, your offspring's throne will be established forever. So we're getting a bigger picture. Somehow the nations will be blessed and there's going to be a king whose throne, it's not Solomon, Solomon died. As we talked about last night, Jesus is still alive. This is a picture that's being painted for us. And this is why Paul can tell the Galatian church in chapter three, verse 16, saying that this offspring is not a plural thing, it's a singular at the very end. And your offspring, offspring is the Christ. So the point of Isaiah's message saying the seed is a stump, the offspring saying the righteous ones will stay strong. Even though I'm gonna judge the land, even though I'm gonna blind their eyes with this message. The, the way to think about it is that, that snow out there is on that dirt. The message, the heat of the message will melt the snow, but unfortunately the dirt underneath will harden. So he's saying, hey, I'm judging Israel. 
I'm going to say, hey, I shared the gospel, but your sin was so great, I'm going to judge you and discipline you. But even though I judge them, I will still leave a remnant behind, a seed behind that will be faithful and righteous. God's judgment will reveal the righteous. And as we learn, that righteous seed brought us Christ, who redeems us all. So Isaiah is getting the picture that, because he knows all those references, he said, God's plan is going to work. Not in the way I thought it would, but it's going to work. So point number three, expect God's plan of salvation to work. It's like weird food combos. I mean, I like ketchup on my eggs. Pastor Rod thinks that's like heresy and evil and wrong. He's called me to repentance several times. But I, I saw an article that BuzzFeed did and they collected like several of these things. But let me, let me read to you. Here's food combinations that people vouch that say, hey, these work. Cheetos and milk. Peanut butter and pickle sandwich. Some of you are like, yeah. <laughs> Melted chocolate on pizza. I, mean, I like pineapple pizza, but I mean, that's a little too much sugar for me. Salt and pepper on apples. This one I don't get. Oreos dipped in orange juice. No, no. Exactly, no, no. <laughs> Vanilla ice cream and soy sauce. Pickles, and what you do is you take the, it's not the pickle, sorry, Oreos, you take them apart and put a pickle inside and eat it. I don't think this person thinks it's a good combo. I think this person does a lot of sugar. Peanut butter and sugar sandwich. Not jelly. Scrap the jelly. Give me the real sugar. Grilled cheese and applesauce. Strawberries with brown sugar and sour cream. This one is so specific, I didn't understand it. Not hot meatballs, cold meatballs and melted chocolate. Which part of me is like, I think that could work. I kind of like that. I like the meat, I like the sweet, I'm good. Now, some of you think shakes and french fries don't work. I'm going to hear you to tell you that combination is holy and righteous and good. Hold the applause. But, but, shh. there's a combination I liked as a kid. It doesn't make sense, but it works. Watermelon and ketchup. It works. I don't know why. That concept is like the same thing with God's plan. At first, in our minds, like this makes zero sense. This combination does not work. But God's like, no, 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 no. No, expect my plan to work. Instead of trusting yourself, trust in God's wisdom and not your own. You see, remember, the world says you can do anything, it will work out. Or as Pastor Russ said, you're good enough. Your wisdom will say, you know what, I can figure this problem out. I can do this on my own. I'm good. I can just, I got this. Don't worry. I got YouTube and Google. Like, why did you need a plumber in the first place? God's wisdom says, you're not good enough. Only I can do this. Only I can fix this. And this is the whole point of the cross. Because the cross is folly to those who are perishing. The non-Christians in this room or the non-Christians down this mountain don't understand it. Even though, as Pastor Rod correctly says, even though all of you understand and the world understands we're not good enough, we just don't want to, to be the cross. Why? Because we, we love darkness, but God is like, I'm going to bring the cross. It's gonna be, it doesn't make sense to you, but guess what? I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and, dis, and destroy the discerning of the, dis, and, and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart Remember, guys, like, I don't like pride. 
So instead, I'm gonna choose the foolishness of the world to shame the wise because our wisdom is foolishness to God. The reason why he's doing this plan for Isaiah and this plan of the, of the cross for us is so that none of us can boast. Saying, I was able to add in a little bit of good works in there. No, the point is to show that we are utterly broken. So as Proverbs 3 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your understanding and all of your ways acknowledge him and be not wise in your own eyes. It will work out if you do this. So it'll work out when you trust him for the gospel work. So trust God's wisdom and God's plan of sharing the gospel. You might go down this mountain and try to share it with a family member or a parent or a friend. And they're going to say, you're stupid and you're dumb. Get out of my life. But guess what? You are still faithful to try to deliver the good news, the redemption for them. But even better, you have to remember that God is with you. Trust that. Trust that God is with you. I was recently at AT&T trying to get a phone upgrade and I was talking to this gentleman, the, the sales rep, and here, lo and behold, all of a sudden we're talking about church and I'm like, here's my opportunity. Here I can share the gospel. I'm like, how do I share the gospel? I'm on the sales floor at AT&T where everyone can hear me. I'm like, oh, whatever, I'll just go for it. Why? Because I knew that God would be with me. Why? Because he promised that not only in Luke, but also in Matthew, 20, Matthew 20, 20, uh, 28, verses 17 to 20. This is something that most of you know, the Great Commission, Right? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to, to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now those are sweet, nice words you put on a card. No. Verse 17, that's why I put it in there. And when they, the disciples, saw him, Jesus, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Why? Because they all betrayed Jesus. And here's this guy who they betrayed alive from the dead. They're going, does he still like us? I know he told us to come here, but he's here to kill us and judge us. And he's saying, no, all authority has been given to me. Go make disciples and guess what? I will be with you. God was there to comfort those disciples like Peter and James and Timothy who ran away. God is with you even when you're scared to share the gospel. Remember that. And the next time you go down the mountain, maybe you text a friend on the way down. Remember, God is with you till the end of the age. Here's the last thing that y'all need to know this. Trust that your knee will bow to Jesus like everyone else. Remember that. Some of you are professing believers. I heard your testimonies, you saw some of you get baptized. But remember, the person who hates you for your faith, the person that hates your faith in general but might like you, the person who's a sweet old lady or the sweetest friend who might be an LDS Mormon, they will bow their knee to Jesus. And this isn't a universal salvation message. No, they will bow their knee to Jesus in fear because they realized they were, they were on the wrong side of history. They were wrong. Isaiah 45, 23 is the first time this is brought up to me. Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear allegiance. They'll like it or not. 
for us as Christians, well, yes, I swear allegiance. Or as Paul puts in Philippians chapter two, I will gladly swear allegiance to Christ. My knee will gladly bow. Everyone in heaven and earth will bow to Jesus and everyone will confess that Jesus is Lord, including the angry atheists that I know who say in a paraphrase, I'd rather go to hell than serve God. Or if heaven was real, I would gladly go to hell than worship that maniac of a God that you have guess what? They're going to confess that I was wrong and I'm, I deserve this. I might be angry about it, but I will confess that Jesus is king and I am going to go and take punishment. Gladly? Probably not. This is why it's so urgent for us to declare the good news with joy because people need to hear it. Everyone in this planet will bow their knee, including some of you who have not bowed their knee. Some of you are so close. Some of you are weighing your options. Some of you are being weighed down by your sin. And some of you are just hard-hearted. Dip out in the middle of messages, stand there politely at worship, wish you weren't here. Why do you want to reject this mercy? Why do you want that girl or that boy so badly that you're willing to risk hell for it? Why are you willing to do it your way? See, no, mom and dad, I want to play video games as much as I want to do. No, I want to do it my way. I don't want to do this. I plead with you. Every one of you, please repent. I see your faces and I can't imagine seeing you take on the wrath of God because of your pride. Don't think you can take it on. You won't. You will bend your knee and be crushed and wonder why. Why was I so prideful? Why would I not willingly listen? Why was I so not willing to be humble enough to see, to understand? Why did I want it my way so bad? Your way is stupid. I'm just here to tell you that. I was that for 20 years. Your way only leads to pain and destruction. If it's a relationship, it's going to be either you're going to have a child out of wedlock and you're gonna go, should I have an abortion? Should I murder this child? For some of you, it's like, I'm gonna do it my way. I'm gonna play as video games as much as I want. And all of a sudden you look up and going, how do I get a job? Because I've neglected school. Those are just some of the paths that you're on. Your way does not make sense. Please see that. Listen to your leaders. Listen to God's word and see that his way is so much better to do life with him so much better. His design is beautiful. Even though this world is hard, it is so much more beautiful. Don't hear, hear, and not hear. Don't see, see, and not see. Humble yourself today. Don't go down this mountain. Weigh the cost. And please follow Christ. It is so much sweeter than any sin that can, uh, any honey that sin offers. When you understand this, when you follow Christ in this way, you'll do things despite the difficulty. Landing the plane. My wife and I went, got lunch back in October with Pastor Mike, the head pastor, and Carlin, his wife, and Pastor Hayden and Kayla, you know, the pastors, 
Pastor Hayden, who's been planting this church in Texas. He asked me to say, hey, will you potentially be my associate? And so we're eating lunch, and Candace and I, we had our objections, we had our concerns, and we're just lobbing everything that we had at them. And they, they graciously just said, here, we'll answer all those objections, and let's, let's paint you a picture, Evan. And they painted this picture of this church in Texas. Say, hey, these people are like cultural Christians. They are blinded by their own nominal Christianity. We need to plant a church down there that is growing in a city that's growing, and you need to hear the gospel. And we see that you and Candace have been gifted for that. Even though you have objections, we have seen you in your lives. No, will you go? There's a need. Will you fulfill this need and go? At the end of his lunch, Candace and I were like amped up. We're like, let's do this. We're excited. And we walked to our car. Like, man, I, th- I think we're going to do it. But, you know, we'll follow Pastor Mike's instructions and go to Texas and just, just to make sure that we like it. And um, we'll just, you know, feel it out. We get lunch. Pastor Hayden and Kayla, just make sure we can work as a team. And we got in that car and we wept. We cried. Even though we were amped up, we wept. Why? Because we knew the cost. We saw a call of obedience to follow God to Texas and said, we have to, t- I have to strip away my two month or my one month, it'll be two months. I have to take him away from my gr- mother and father who want to, who renovated their house to, the, to host grandchildren. Now I'm saying, mom and dad, I have to take him away. You can visit. I got to take him away to plant this church. I did the same thing for her parents to say, I know Theodore is here, but you're going to have to say Goodbye. Our best friends in our small group, they're not coming with us. We have to tell them goodbye, even though we've started this small group three years ago and thrive. We love California. I love the beach. I love the mountains. We love it here. And we're willing to say, you know, we're going to go to this different state that we don't know much about because there's a call of obedience. We love Pastor Mike. We love Compass Aliso. We loved this church. I was willing to stay. I don't care about the politics. But we saw this call of obedience even though we wept, we said, you know what? We don't want to live with regret. If we say no to this, we will regret it for the rest of our lives. So let's trust God. We don't know his plan. It's better than ours. But let's trust him. And here we are, more excited than ever to go plant this church in Texas. My question for you is, will you live with regret, but not sharing the good news that you learned today, this weekend? Will you bottle it up and never share it? Or will you go out and respond correctly to the holiness of God and declaring this joyful good news to everyone around there, around down this mountain? Will you choose the joyful sharing of the gospel or will you live in regret? Let's pray. God, thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your patience, your long-suffering for our sin. God, we do not deserve your goodness. We do not deserve your mercy. But God, I just pray that these students would not regret, not sharing, not obeying you. So please, God, let it be a revival here this morning and let it go down the mountain and let us reach South Orange County for you. Let us be bold. Let us remember that you are with us and let us please trust you. I pray all these things in your name. Amen.